Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I have a special guest who is Jordan Sale. Jordan is the GM of Aurora and the founder of 81 Cents. She's also a Berkeley School of Business MBA graduate. And today, we're going to talk to Jordan about why she decided to get an MBA, how she decided on pursuing entrepreneurship, and how she built her business, 81 Cents, and learning more deeply about how someone can use their time in business school to fuel a path and career path in entrepreneurship. I really love this conversation with Jordan. She shared a little bit more about her motivations for going to school, as well as how her MBA and her time in business school helped her build 81 cents, uh, even leading up to the eventual acquisition of her company. Jordan's a great entrepreneur, and I hope you really enjoy this conversation that I had with her. All right. It's great to have you here, Jordan. So as listeners of this podcast will know, I always love starting with a warm-up question. And my warm-up question for you is, what is a book that has had a profound impact on your life and why? Awesome. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to chat today. And I think, well, the first book that comes to mind is The Gift of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I read this actually the year that I was working on my MBA applications. And it was the first time that I had read like any sort of self-help book or anything like that. And it was like a very profound experience for me. I think I felt everyone goes through life wondering if like the things that are going on in their head are normal, if they're the only one out there having those kind of thoughts. And it was the first time I read a book where I realized, oh my gosh, like I thought no one exists, but really the doubts, the insecurities, the times I get mad at myself, like those are very human and very real. And it was a really, yeah, powerful experience for me and also very motivating during the MBA application process. Yeah. What a book to read at a pivotal moment in your life or career. And also just the juxtaposition, right? In terms of, on one hand, you in this application, you want to put your best foot forward. You want to showcase all the things that are great about you and how an MBA can help you grow in your career and how you can be such a great addition to whatever school's community that you join. And nobody's perfect, right? And it's okay to maybe not feel like you measure up or it's okay. It's normal to maybe perhaps uh, want to aspire to be something more than what you are, but maybe not always feeling like you're at that each and every day. So I could totally see that being just a very interesting dichotomy of, on one hand, wanting to aspire to be this amazing person and then reading this book and realizing like, oh, I just need to be myself. I don't need to be this vision of what I think people exactly. need Exactly. And the whole process, it's so competitive. You are comparing yourself to everyone else who's applying. And a lot of times you don't actually know anything about the other applicants besides like what you might read online or what you think. And so there was something very comforting about during that time when I was probably particularly insecure and particularly nervous getting to read a book that helped me realize like, oh, I actually am great, right as I am. Um, and yes. I actually think I yeah. had been like waitlisted from a school or something. And that was the day I started reading the book. And so it was very good timing. 
Yeah. Okay. Lex, let's talk a little bit more about this. So we talked just a little bit about the MBA application process, but take me back a little bit. What were you, what did you do before business school and what prompted you to choose to get an MBA in the first place? So before business school, I had actually worked in the startup world for almost four years. I had been a 10th hire at a fintech startup called Fundrise. They're actually still around in the online real estate investment space. And it was an awesome experience. I mean, it was my first time working at a startup and the first time I really felt like super engaged and inspired by work. And the first time I had really seen what the experience of founding a company might look like. And it was an amazing experience. I think that joining, I think it was my second job out of college and I was pretty young compared to the other employees. And it was definitely a humbling experience in a lot of ways. I think I sort of went in being, oh, I'm, I'm sure this will be great for me, easy. I'm used to setting my mind to things and then doing them. And it was definitely a really challenging experience. Like the hours were long, the expectations were high. We were expected to not only be good at your work and be a strategic thinker, but then also kind of participate and add to the rest of the company and the culture. And it was just a challenging experience, but I also got hooked on it and just loved the fast pace and loved how smart the people were that I was working with and loved how like quickly we could get things done. But after a few years, I think I started to feel a little like wanderlusty and just wondered like what else was out there. I had realized at that point that I was really drawn to startups in the mission-driven space. And so I was curious to explore other models outside of, I was living in DC at the time and was interested in getting back to the West Coast. And then I think I always had this sort of question of, would I feel more confident and would I feel more capable and would I be a better leader if I had an MBA? And I don't know how much of that was like my own imposter syndrome, how much of that is real, how much of that was like, being a woman at a fintech startup that was predominantly male. But I definitely wondered what I would look like. Would the MBA experience be a leveling up opportunity for me? And so you eventually got accepted and enrolled at the Haas School of Business, which is a phenomenal business school. And as you mentioned, on the West Coast in Berkeley, California. And when you got there or just going into business school, what you wanted your short-term career path post-business school to be, and not to give too much of the lead away here, but did did going in, you wanted to do entrepreneurship? Was I know you worked in startups, but it, was this something that was on the horizon, or did you use really your time in business school to really figure out what that short-term career path was going to be? I had a pretty clear idea that I wanted to use those two years to experiment with starting some sort of company. And I had no idea what field I wanted the company to be in. I had no idea if it would actually pan out. I had no idea if by the end of it, I would be ready to jump back into another early stage startup, not as a founder, or if I would be like lured by big tech. But I knew that I like wanted those couple years of school to really focus on what the founder experience was like, because I think Having been such an early hire at a startup, I had seen a lot, but I'd always wondered like what happens in those meetings after everyone else goes home or like what happened in the two to three years that the company was around before I joined or if I was in charge, would I have made that decision? Lots of times, yes, but sometimes I felt no. 
And so I was really interested in getting the founder experience. And I think being an early hire had helped me be curious about that. So when you're in business school, particularly a school like Haas, I think there's plenty of opportunities to really explore what that founder experience was like. So could you share a little bit about either some of the classes, the experiences or opportunities that you got that really gave you more insight into what that founder experience was like? And I assume also encouraged you to then go on the path of of building your yeah, company? Yeah, definitely. It was a really supportive environment. And I mean, it felt like at one point, like pretty much every other student was working on some sort of startup, which is like pretty absurd when you think about like how few founders there are out there and like just wild to be in a community where like half of people are trying to start something. Like it was pretty, yeah, pretty amazing and, and influential, I think. Uh, one of the first things I did was I got involved with the Berkeley Startup Accelerator, which is called Launch, and had a chance to take a leadership role in that group. And that was really awesome because I felt like I had spent the previous four years before business school like going really deep on the problems of one startup. And having a chance to work in an accelerator allowed me to see sort of like more of a higher level view. Like we were working with, I think, 24 startups a year. And so I had a chance to understand like, oh, what are the things that all startups seem to struggle with? Or where are people getting stuck? Where are people getting in their own way? I think another thing that that allowed me to do was realize that there's not just like one kind of founder out there. I think because I had been at one startup, I thought, oh, a founder needs to be this way and that way and whatnot. And after working at the accelerator, I realized, oh, there are like all sorts of shapes and sizes of founders. And there are definitely certain archetypes that you find founders often look like, but there are also all sorts of people who really challenge my idea of who a founder is or what sort of personality they have or how technical or not technical they are. And so that was really inspiring as well. And I think helped me see, oh, I think I could be a founder one day. I think I could see myself doing this. So spoiler alert, you did become a founder and you built your own company, uh, 81 Cents. And so could you talk a little bit about what is 81 Cents and maybe more specifically, what did you uncover in either the insights or the customer development or just the things you were seeing that led you to want to study this specific problem and then build a company to go and solve it? Definitely. So my experience with negotiation goes back to getting my very first job out of undergrad. I have always been really close with my uncle and he's been a great professional mentor to me. And so I remember calling him when I got my first job offer and saying, you know, Uncle Dennis, guess what? Someone wants to hire me. This is really exciting. And he was really happy and told me he was really proud of me. And then immediately goes like, so what are you going to encounter with? And that just blew my mind because here I was finishing up four years of like very expensive college education and felt like I was ready to go out into the working world. Yet there was this huge thing that was expected of me that I had never heard about, never talked about, never took a class about. And that was just shocking. And I remember he said something along the lines of, if you don't negotiate now, like you'll be behind from day one because most of your peers will be negotiating, even though no one talks about it. And actually the companies that you're hoping to work for are expecting that you negotiate your pay too. And so I begrudgingly let him coach me through the process. I made a case based around the cost of living and the fact that I had interned at the company and I asked for more. It was like a 10, 15 minute conversation. 
And then an hour or two later, I got an email back saying, okay, yep, we can bring your offer up like 15% or something like that. And I just couldn't believe that I had had this 15 minute conversation and suddenly had made like two months more of rent. And it was just like really exciting and thrilling, but also I was still a little bit frustrated. Like how come no one talked about this? And what about all of my friends who don't have uncles who can mentor them through this sort of process? And so that was my first moment with negotiation. It came up again at my subsequent jobs before the MBA program. And every time I really struggled with it, because on one hand, I felt that I was pretty confident, pretty extroverted. But on the other hand, I had definitely been raised with this attitude of like, kind of say yes to everything, put your head down and do good work and you'll be taken care of. Don't talk about money. It's tacky. A lot of the things that I think like society tells us about getting paid. And I had one kind of particularly challenging negotiation where like I did tap my network and mentors and all of that, but I realized that I like wasn't asking the right people for advice because at that point I had moved into the startup world And so now equity and stock and just startup lingo was part of the equation. And no one in my network that I was asking for help had a lot of experience there. And so I felt like there was sort of this disconnect and kind of the way I negotiated, I later realized like wasn't very effective. And so I went back to school with that problem in the back of my head. I was also interested in other things as well. I was interested in affordable housing. I was interested in technology addiction. So I had all of these things that I was looking at. But then that summer in between my first and second years of school, I had been lucky enough to get a fellowship to work on a startup idea. And at one point during that summer, a friend called me and wanted to talk through her negotiation. And I got off the phone and that was that sort of aha moment where I realized, oh, like that was probably one of the best calls I've had you know, in a while I've been doing user interviews forever and this just kind of makes sense. This is the space I want to be working in. And so 81 cents was born from that moment. So tell us a little bit more about what it does and how it really helps solve some of the challenges around negotiation, particularly when it pertains to jobs and careers. Definitely. So I started 81 cents because I had always really struggled to negotiate my pay and always had felt really out of my element. Like, Where is this sort of secret handbook that everyone's following? How come everyone else seems to know more about this than I do? How come the company feels, seems like they have all the power? How come this feels so terrible? And as I did user interviews, I realized like I very much wasn't alone in those feelings. And not only did a lot of people hate negotiation, but we also see this play out in these really significant wage gaps where women earn less on the dollar than men, women of color, and substantially less than white women. And it plays into these bigger societal things. And there's this sort of eternal question of like, is it that like a group needs to lean in more? Or is it like the system they're negotiating within is broken? And I think the answer is like all of the above and even more things too. But ultimately, I wanted to start 81 cents to help people control what they could, which is their own negotiation and the way it plays out in front of them. And so ultimately, 81 cents was an approach to try to help people get the data and confidence and support they needed to negotiate more effectively. Like in my case, I had this uncle who helped me, like, how could I help everyone else find 
their own uncle or a committee of uncles who would guide them through the process. It, I, I think what, two things that kind of come up as you're talking through this, I think the first thing that comes up is that so much of, or a portion of our lives are really shaped by the scripts that we tell ourselves, which are shaped by the environments that we're in. And that can work in a lot of good ways. And that can also work in challenging ways, right? And I think your examples is, is one of those, right? In terms of uh, if you do have a great uncle or whomever in your life to you kind of determine some of those scripts in a positive way, it can really pay a lot of dividends. Well, the second thing that kind of comes to mind is that it really is still sometimes really hard in particular around our scripts related to money. It just, I think it it does feel like today, at least with respect to the workplace and careers, it's a little bit more accepted to talk about these things more frequently or more more publicly, at least than perhaps maybe a decade or two decades ago, but by no means does it seem to be easy, right? And I think certainly the kind of resurgence and transparency around that has certainly helped with that in terms of things like Glassdoor and Payscale and other places, certainly the work that you were doing as well. But it does feel like we're still tiptoeing around quite a bit when it comes to talking about money and compensation. and Yeah, and definitely. I think you're spot on with both of those. I mean, I think for a long time, I tried to separate like the work we were doing at 81 cents from the confidence and worthiness sort of piece. Like you see, at least I feel like I see a lot of that on the internet and you know, there are a lot of coaches out there doing amazing work. And I always wanted to be like separate from that because I didn't know how to take that on. And what I've realized in the past couple of years is like, you can't really coach someone on how to advocate for more money if you're not, or you can't do it very effectively if you're not willing to help them look at sort of the narratives they have about themselves. Like, why is it so scary to think about asking to be at the director level? Why is it so scary to think about asking for a six-figure salary. A lot of people grew up with this sort of like scarcity mentality around money, and it comes from very good, very real places oftentimes. But what I've noticed in the work that we do is a lot of people keep it with them longer than they may need to, and that only serves to hold them back, really, once they get to a place where there is no longer that same scarcity day to day, a lot of people still view the world world from through that lens. So on that notion, I know through the work that you do through 81 cents, you've had the ability, uh, you and your team have had the ability to really engage with thousands of professionals around topics around negotiation, but also just with respect to just careers in general. And I'd just be curious from over the years, what are some of the learnings or maybe some of the themes that tend to come up or just observations you've had just from being able to to really gain insight into what people are thinking about with respect to compensation or negotiation with respect to their yeah, careers. I think one of the things that, sorry, I don't know if that's my, one of the things that I've seen come up over and over is that people, because money is like so uncomfortable for people to talk about because negotiation is this, thing that I think a lot of people know they're supposed to do, but feels very hard and feels very scary. When people start to get job offers, a lot of times I see them throw like everything else that's not compensation related out the window. And so compensation, it's funny to be saying this from the perspective of like negotiation coach, but 
compensation is only like one part of a job and only one part of your career. And actually, there's a lot of research that shows that once you feel that you're being paid fairly and you're being fairly valued and all of that, like compensation actually has very little bearing on your happiness or your success in your role. And ultimately, the reason people want to leave companies is very infrequently just driven by compensation. You never really hear someone say, I absolutely love my job. Everything about it is perfect, but I'm being underpaid. Because usually being underpaid is like a symptom of something else. It's about not feeling valued, not feeling like there's someone investing in you and your growth. And so I think we see this play out a lot in negotiations where people just end up focusing a lot on the money and they forget to ask the other questions that might help them figure out if this is a place where they're going to be happy or not. How much is your manager willing to go to bat for you? How clear is the mandate for your role? How much do you like the people they're going to be working with? Do you like the way the organization is set up? Um, All of those things, we see people like basically write those off and just focus on comp. So it sounds like it, it is really important then to really get a holistic and detailed understanding of what, in, in addition to the comp, all the other elements that surround whatever role that you're potentially stepping into. Like, as you said, in terms of some of the other, certainly all the other aspects of the offer, but some of the other things about defining the role and what the day-to-day is like. And I guess maybe even in today, in this day and age, uh, when you're expected to be in the office versus when you're not, or where the job can be located etc. And being able to really do your homework and not only understand what those things are, but to get a better sense for yourself about how those sit with you, right? And if that is going to make sense for you on this next role, and if not, or could there be other things that could make it even more attractive? And then being able to then have the op- have that conversation with a hiring manager or the recruiter, Exactly. So one thing we always encourage is once you get the offer, people always say, ask questions during the interview process. Remember, like, you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. And as much as I wish that would be true, that's just not the way a lot of things work. People want offers and you often feel like you're performing. And so once you have the offer, like that's your moment to flip the script and start asking the real questions and start doing your real research and figuring out like, what is life really like at this company? And like we see a lot of people just kind of want to rush from like offer to negotiate to sign, but we actually always encourage people to take a week, take two weeks right there and just start understanding if this is a good opportunity for you. And then the paradoxical thing about that is in doing that in slowing down the negotiation and asking these questions and really trying to understand what success at the company looks like, you actually end up creating a lot more leverage for yourself. And then it's much easier to negotiate much higher pay. So I want to also talk to you a little bit about just the journey of being an entrepreneur. And you had mentioned having worked in startups previously in early stage startups, you certainly had an understanding of what that environment was like. But now that you've been a founder and an entrepreneur and a builder, would love to know just what the journey has been like. And specifically, what what have been some of the highs and lows of building your own company and being an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's funny. I feel so grateful that I didn't realize how hard it was going to be at every step. Like, I think when I started working on it, I was like, oh, I've worked in early stage startups before. Like, I must, I probably know what this is going to be like. And turns out I had no idea. It was so much harder than I could have ever imagined. But I'm grateful I didn't know because I think if I knew, I might not have moved forward. And 
that's been consistent at every step. And so it's been a cool reframe for like uncertainty, like almost being grateful that I don't know everything because it's taken me down this path that I'm not sure I would have otherwise gone have gone down. Yeah, I think, I mean, there have been like an incredible number of amazing moments. I think the one that really never gets old, especially in the space we're in of supporting professionals through negotiations is just hearing from people how this work has impacted them and hearing their results, both the like financial results, but then also sort of that like emotional transformation piece too. Someone emailed me last week and said, I'll never look at negotiating my pay the same way again. Like I will now always look at it as an opportunity, a chance to learn, a chance to figure out if the company is a good fit for me and a chance to take a serious step up in pay. It's not something I should do now. It's something I'm always going to do. And it's that's the coolest feedback ever to receive as a founder, right? It's like direct feedback on how your product and the thing that you've built has helped people. So those are definitely the highest moments. We were recently acquired, uh, I guess about like five months ago. So that was also a pretty surreal moment of just realizing it was actually pretty anticlimactic because it's COVID and we signed everything over DocuSign. So just like sitting at my computer, signing documents and then being done. And it was like no confetti jumped out or anything like that. It just was like, okay, it's that task is complete. But so that was a pretty exciting experience as well. And now like integrating the two companies together has been really awesome. In terms of lows, there are many of those as well. I definitely think like as a solo founder, figuring out how to navigate COVID was really challenging, especially when our business is tied to the hiring market and the hiring market just froze for two months. That was really hard and it was really lonely. And in particular, I felt like I was waking up in the middle of the night afraid and not sure of what to do and just sort of that realization that I'm the only one that's worrying about the state of this company uh, was like a really hard one to get over. Another really hard moment was I think maybe like a year or so into it, I, I have this really awesome mentor who has been there with me through like a lot of the founder moments. And we used to talk on the phone like every month or so, and I would bring whatever I was stuck on. And I remember at one point, he was like, Jordan, look, like, I'm really happy to keep supporting you, but I want, I don't know if you realize, but like, you've brought me the same challenges for the past three or four months. He was like, we've been talking about pricing. We've been talking about like, is this the right version of the product? And I just want to kind of call out that now it's been like over a quarter and you're like still stuck on these things. And so maybe that's right. Maybe you should be spending this much time thinking about these, or maybe you just need to decide and move forward. And like, you'll revisit it at some point, but you'll probably learn along the way. And that was, I mean, obviously a really impactful moment, but also felt pretty terrible to realize like, wow, it seems like I'm getting in my own way here, right? Like I'm the one that keeps bringing these things up and is sort of ruminating on these questions. This isn't like a, the market is doing this to me necessarily. Those are a wider range of highs and lows and certainly plenty of awesome moments and certainly plenty of challenges. I think the one that stands out to me the most is this idea of those particular challenges that sometimes live within you, but cannot always be solved just by you. Mm -hmm. And I think 
what I mean by that is particularly when you are a solo founder or building something on your own, the, you're right, absolutely right. The buck does stop with you. But at the same time, there, particularly with any entrepreneur, so much of what you do oftentimes is the ability to work through others or in with the support of others. And just that dichotomy of needing to solve some of these things on your own because you everything does stop with you. And also acknowledging and realizing that there's other people that you have to work with or get feedback from or get alignment with or, or whatever it ends up being. And so just having to sort through that nuance of how do I take ownership, but also bring others along the journey, I think it'd be really tough. And even just, I, I think that would have been hard before COVID, but I think in particular, I also think it can be pretty isolated or during COVID must've been pretty isolating in that respect too, just even being by yourself or physically distant from yeah, you know, other totally. people. Yeah, totally. It really is a challenge. And I think the idea of asking for help has always been, it's always felt really important and has always been hard. And I think as a founder, especially in our space, there have been a lot of amazing people who've been willing to chat with me and mentor me. And at a certain point, you like take 20 of those calls. And after each one, you just feel a little bit tired because someone gives you great advice and then who's, who is it on to implement it? It's on you, right? Like you're the one with the to-do list after every single meeting. And sometimes it just felt like if I had a day of six meetings, every meeting was accumulating things to do. And I think looking back, the fact that I was viewing it that way was probably a sign of being a little burnt out and maybe a day away from work would have helped. But I think at that time, it's hard to see that, yeah, what you need is really maybe a break. But at the time, it feels very overwhelming. And the only answer is to just keep working. One of the things that you mentioned is that you recently were acquired. Thank so you. congratulations. Could you talk a little bit more just about how that happened and what that experience was? And yeah, how did that, how did that experience work? Yeah, it's actually a cool kind of MBA moment because I met Brian, who's the founder of Aurora, the startup that acquired us. I met him through Berkeley. One of my, one of the professors at Haas, who I actually didn't even have a chance to take his class, but um, he taught a class called Leading People, and he is quoted in a book called Never Split the Difference, which is one of the most sort of popular, most recent negotiation books. And I read that book that first summer when I was trying to get 81 cents off the ground, and I emailed him being like, oh my gosh, you're in this book. I would love to talk to you about it, yada, yada. And I guess around the same time, a Berkeley had also emailed him probably from reading the same book as well. And so I think I ended up talking with the professor, John Moore, but he also ended up put, putting me in touch with Brian. And Brian was living in New York at the time, but I remember we talked on the phone and then at some point we met up and we were both starting companies in this space, but had decided we had pretty different visions for what the companies would be. I was really interested in building a data product. He was really more interested in kind of the coaching side. We were both appreciated the mission, but I think I was a little bit more, the company needed to be completely oriented around the mission. And we ultimately decided let's just keep in touch, but probably not going to join forces. And that was summer 2018. And so then over the next four years, we just, yeah, stayed connected. We ended up partnering at one point and doing some events together. 
we both ended up moving to LA coincidentally, which is pretty cool. And about, yeah, maybe nine months ago, we got coffee and we had just sort of both grown up. I think we had really gotten clear on why we were doing this work. I think our missions had started to converge, our sort of visions for what we wanted the companies to look at started to converge. And also transparently, we had both started going to therapy. And I think we had just kind of grown up and had become better people and better founders. And so suddenly we had all of this stuff in common on the work front, but then we also had this whole other dynamic. And I think leaving that conversation, we both felt, wow, maybe we should be trying to figure out how to work together again. And so we met up most weeks for the next six months or so. We went on a road trip together to make sure we wanted to spend time together and ultimately, yeah, ended up with 81 cents being acquired and me joining the Aurora team full time. That's such a cool story and definitely quite a journey in terms of from when you first met into the actual acquisition and so many twists and turns along the way. And I, I love how it, it started with a connection back to Berkeley and to Haas. And I guess I would love to also know just reflecting back at least to date so far in building this company, I would be curious to know as you think about your MBA experience, what from your time in business school has helped you as you've built 81 cents and become and grown as an entrepreneur? Definitely. I mean, the connection to Brian and the team at Aurora is definitely the most recent exciting connection to come from it. But I mean, Haas was helpful from the very beginning. I think just practically, I'm not sure that if I had foregone business school and had just been working full time, I'm not sure I would have really gotten a company off the ground. I think it gave me the time and the space to experiment and to try things out and to get comfortable with the idea of being a founder. It's funny. It's like business school. I felt confident enough to leave my job for business school and then to leave business school to move from that to a startup. But I'm not sure I would have felt confident enough to go straight from job to startup, even though that would have been a more affordable route. So yeah, that was just really helpful to kind of have the time and space. I mean, the network has been super valuable. Some of my closest mentors are from Berkeley, either went there, or I was connected to them when I started getting 81 cents off the ground. I think from a very practical perspective, there's a lot of funding that's available to founders who are students. And so we were able to raise probably like 60 or 70K of non-dilutive funds just from various scholarships and fellowships and resources for student founders. And I mean, that was extremely helpful as I was thinking about graduating and not taking a real full-time job. That was really, really helpful as well. And then also kind of team. So the very first team members from 81 Cents were all from the Berkeley Network. I went to an undergrad class at one point in the engineering school and was just there auditing, I guess, pretending that I had a shot at learning anything related to coding and ended up sitting next to an awesome sophomore at the time named Grace. And Grace ended up joining 81 Cents as an intern and still works with us part-time today, now four plus years later. So there are a lot of things, I think, that a lot of benefits that came from starting 81 cents on the Berkeley campus. I think those are a lot of really great tangible benefits in terms of that have helped you facilitate 
growth and opportunities in your journey as an entrepreneur. And certainly a, a really good reason why going to business school could be a, a great path for someone thinking about becoming a founder eventually. Something I wanted to ask you about as we start to wrap up here a little bit. So you've worked in high growth startups and in that space, you've gotten an MBA, you've built your own company, you've gotten it acquired. I'd be curious to know, I mean, those are all the, certainly the accolades that you have, which is one part of the story, but there's also another part of the story in terms of how you define your own success for yourself. And I would just be curious to know, I mean, it can certainly just make assumptions based off of those accolades, but how do you think about your own vision for career success as you look towards the next couple of years of your career? It's a great question. And I think for me, it's always come back to is what is the kind of work that I can do that I feel I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid. Um, and it's ironic because I work in the pay equity space, so I'm pretty opposed to people doing unpaid work. But I still think having that bar for yourself of this is so interesting and fun and meaningful that it's worth doing it even if I wasn't getting paid is, yeah, sort of the bar I've always tried to aspire to. I think for me, career success is the combination of that. I mean, being in the early stage startup world for so long, the variety and diversity of every day and sort of that scrappy chaos is something I've definitely become hooked on. And so that's a really important piece of career satisfaction. And then I think a newer element for me is balance. I'm now much more focused on, could I do this for the next 5, 10, 15 years? And less about, okay, this is a short sprint. I'm going to go in, get burnt out, learn a ton along the way, and then find the next thing. I'm now looking at things a little bit longer term. And balance is a lot more important to me than it ever was. And I think as a founder, I definitely learned firsthand that you know the times 81 cents grew the most were actually the times when I took care of myself. The times when I was, a few months when I was working seven days a week, 14-hour days, the to-do list was never ending. Those were actually those sort of spiraling kind of periods where I wasn't actually getting that much done. It was the same time when my mentor told me I was stuck on the same problems. So I actually have realized sort of the benefit to career success of finding some balance as well. I love that version and definition of how you've come to defining career success for yourself. Jordan Sale, the founder of 81 Cents and now the GM of Aurora, as well as a MBA graduate from the Berkeley Haas School of Business. Thanks so much for joining me today. If people want to learn more about Aurora or 81 Cents or connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, where can they find you? Yeah, check out and also connect with me on LinkedIn. All right. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.